here we are at Robin's Nest episode six. Welcome to everybody. Thank you once again for all of your support. Um, my name is Robin Kevlis-Nekowitz and I am a licensed psychotherapist and parenting coach in Fairless Hills, Pennsylvania. And I am the author of a book called Go Take a Bath, a powerful self-care approach to extraordinary parenting. And I started this podcast to really talk about all kinds of topics that were very near and dear to my heart, which are parenting and politics and marriage and friendship and spirituality and feminism and food. And um, I just really needed and wanted an outlet to share all of my feelings. And I have all these wonderful friends in my life that I feel like I wanted to share with the world. If you listen to this podcast today and you think to yourself, where has this podcast been all my life? Please go and follow me at on Instagram at Robins underscore nest underscore pod and catch up on all of the other episodes. You can also watch this podcast and all of the podcasts on YouTube by searching Robins nest podcast on YouTube. And with that, I welcome my guest this week, Mahan Rishi Singh Khalsa, who has been somebody in my life uh, that has been a profound influence, whether he realizes it or not, we're gonna be talking about that in a few minutes. Um, he is a Kundalini yoga and meditation teacher in Yardley, Pennsylvania, also a chiropractor, and the name of his center is Khalsa Healing Arts and Yoga Center. And you can find him at, I believe it's Kalsa Healing. Is that correct? That's right. Okay, KalsaHealing.com. Um, please look him up there and sign up for some classes. So Mahan Rishi, thank you so, so much for agreeing to join me on this podcast. As I said to you when I reached out to you, I kept waking up through the night feeling like I wanted you to come on the podcast, but I wasn't sure whether you would be open to it. And I finally just decided to take a chance and email you. And I think you responded to me in less than two minutes, um, graciously offering to spend time with me today. So I'm, I'm so grateful. Thank you very, very much. Thank you, Robin. It's a, it's a pleasure and honor for me to do anything with you. Oh, thank I you. Love, I love spending time with you and your family, with Larry. Thank you. Uh, you. You have a very, very, very special family, and I love how you live this life and 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 the joy and the positivity and the optimism and the visionary um, spirit you bring to it. And so this is a great joy for me to part be a part of this. Thank you. So I'm wondering if you, uh, you know, I thought about asking you to send me your bio, and that I could, you know, sing your praises. But I thought I'd rather you really talk about yourself, um, a little bit about who you are and what you do and what you bring to the community. If you could talk about that for a few minutes, and then I want to talk about sure. how what you've brought to my life. Sure. Okay. Well, you know, there, there's I think there's certain moments and certain things that happen in our lives that 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 reorient ourselves. And I was born in. Um, in northern New Jersey, Baptist, and um, you know, I was brought up, you know, with with uh, a sense of prayer, and that was it was a really important part of my upbringing. I was also brought up with my father uh, took me out into the woods a lot, and we spent a lot of time in nature. And so my spiritual path really has been a combination of prayer and nature. And because I had such an affinity for nature. When I was 18, I decided, I, I looked around at the world and, you know, just noticing the basic flow as high school, everybody in my high school was being uh, funneled into college, um, then marriage, buy the house, work, 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 develop your career, work, 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 mm -hmm. you know, for like 40 years or so, and then retire <laughs> 65, you have your golden years. Well, for some reason, it just didn't make sense to me to be doing something I didn't love for 40 years or so. Right. So I decided to take a different path. And and uh, because I had such a love for the outdoors, I took off. A friend of mine and I, we decided that we would take off and hitchhike up to Alaska. And this is back in 1973, um, before the Alaskan pipeline. 
the uh, Alaskan Highway, which was just a small part of the journey, was 1,200 miles of dirt road. And so I say this because there, there was a surge of inspiration that came through me. I remember the moment I was in a chemistry class, totally bored in high school, and this thought came, go to Alaska. And I went to my friend Mike and I said, why don't we go to Alaska? And he says, okay. So, you know, a couple of weeks after high school, we're on the road for Alaska. And everybody says, oh, you're never going to make it. Why are you going to do that? You're a loser, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you're never going to go back to college once you drop out, blah, blah, blah. I ended up going to college for nine years. Anyway, wow. we, right. made, we made it up to Alaska in like two weeks effortlessly. And um, to make a long story short, you know, as a 18 year old free spirit, I, I was up in Alaska, then I went down to Southern California and Mexico, eventually came back. I took off again up to Newfoundland. I was just, you know, going with the wind. And um, I heard a statement that you can travel around the world a thousand times and not know yourself. The monk can go into the room, close the door and see the universe. Well, that changed everything for me. So I came home I transformed my bedroom. I was in a suburban house in Livingston, New Jersey with my parents. I, print, I painted the whole room brown, the, the ceiling, walls, trim, everything dark brown because I needed a cave, right? Right. A cave if you want to meditate. Right. And um, I took the beds, put them vertical on the walls. I took the bedspreads and put them on the ceiling. So it was kind of like a Middle Eastern cave. And I spent, I spent months just meditating and doing yoga from what I could... And you were how old at this point? I was 18. Okay. 18 and 19. And then I eventually discovered the ashram, Guru Ram Das Ashram in, in Princeton, New Jersey, where I moved in. I came down there in 75. Oh, wow. Here. Um, and so anyway, you know, just hearing that statement um, that you can see the universe by going within turned everything around for me. And I realized it's not an outer journey. Ultimately, it's an inner journey. And wow. uh, so that's why I really have dedicated my life to meditation, yoga, and, and inner work. Wow. Wow. Well, you know, I, I didn't know all of those details of that story. So I can't wait to re-listen to this later, too, and, and really take it in. Because all I know is that I met you many, many years ago when I had an office. My psychotherapy practice was in Yardley, and you were... Um, center, your yoga and meditation center was also in Yardley in the same development. And I just, I don't even know how I got there. Oh, I think I do. I think something actually happens with my husband, believe it or not. I think he was, believe it or not, the first person of our family to go there. Um, but then he didn't stay. And then I ended up going to a yoga class. And then I just fell in love with the energy of the space. That was my first love of all things kundalini yoga and Kalsa healing and art center. I mean, for me, it was when I walked into the space of your center, I felt immediately calm. So then I started feeling like I wanted to spend more time there. And, you know, so I started taking some yoga and meditation classes, but it really started with yoga classes. And there are very specific, there is no one in my life close to me that does not know about you because I talk about you all the time. I talk about you to, to clients constantly and I talk to, about you to my friends because there are certain things that you have said, just interactions that we have had, just moments that have changed the course of my life. And I wanted to mention a few of them. And I may have told you some of them over the years, but I'm sure that there will be several that will be now. So one of them, one of the biggest ones that I remember was, and, I, and I'm very curious to know if you remember any of these things, is that when my office, um, I was purchasing an office in Makefield Executive Quarters, which is where both of our um, practices were, and the office fell through. I, I didn't, the sale did not go through, and I was devastated. I had already purchased everything I needed for the space. I had contractors starting the next day. I had already moved out of my previous rental space. And I was all ready to fulfill this dream of owning my own office. And I walked over to look at the space. It was right behind your center. It was, it was right in the back. And I got a phone call from my real estate agent saying, 
that it's not going to go through, that the people owed more money than what I was paying for the space and the bank won't release the title. And I just became hysterical. I mean, it was just like a dream that was just gone. And I didn't know what to do with myself and I didn't know where to go. And I walked in to your center just as a place to be. And I walked in and no one was there but you. And you were sitting at the desk and you were doing paperwork. And I walked in and I'm sobbing, sobbing, sobbing. And you like half an eye look up from your paperwork. <laughs> you just like barely looked at me and you said, what's up? As I'm like hysterical. And so I tell you this whole sordid story and you're just listening. And then you just with one sentence say, what a great exercise in non-attachment. Do you remember that? Yeah. Oh, you do? Good. Okay. And I, it, it really was, it was so, it was, that was the only thing you said to me the whole, the whole visit, by the way. That's all you said. One sentence, I continued to cry and then I left. <laughs> and so I had, because it was the only thing you said, it was the only thing my brain was circling around. What a great exercise in non-attachment. What a great exercise in non-attachment. And it just, um, it's it that line is what got me through that if we want to call it a crisis at the time it felt like a crisis in the big scheme of life it wasn't a crisis at all but at that time it was really meaningful to me and then that brings me to the next thing and i'm also curious to know if you remember this i had um something come up in my family that was very devastating. It was a big family secret that had come out in my family and I was very upset. And all I wanted to do was go to yoga with Nirbakar. So I show up on a Friday morning for yoga with Nirbakar. Couldn't wait. Yes, she's so nurturing and she's so soft and she's so loving. And I just wanted to be with her and, and be in class with her. And I walked in very upset, very emotional. And once again, there you are. <laughs> You're the only one there. And I said, um, where's Nirbakar? And you said, oh, she's traveling. And I said, oh, okay. Well, obviously everyone got the memo but me because I'm the only one that showed up for this class. And so I turn around to leave and you say, where are you going? And I said, well, I'm gonna leave. You're not gonna have a class just for me. And you said, of course, I'm going to have a class just for you. And I didn't know what to do with myself, because to be perfectly honest, I did not want to have a class with you. I have had classes with you before, and you are not near Bacar. She, she is much more, um, you're, you have a, uh, you expect a little bit more in class. Let's just say that with your keep up, keep up keep up. So I was not in any mood to keep up. So I was getting the getting the heck out of Dodge. I was leaving. And you you just kept saying, oh, no, no, we're, we're going to have class. And it was just you and me in this class. Do you remember this? You can't remember that one. Do you? That, that, what? I don't remember that one. Okay, that one you don't remember. So I go upstairs to class. It is just me and you in this class. And I am so uncomfortable because I am not that flexible and I'm not going to be able to keep up and I'm not feeling emotionally well. So we start the class, just you and me, and I just cried. I just cried the whole class. And you just kept going. You just kept, you know, doing the class. You didn't really acknowledge um, my crying, but you... I don't remember what you said. You didn't, I shouldn't say you didn't acknowledge it. You didn't directly address it, but you were aware of it. And I was aware that you were aware of my sadness at that time. And, and it, it, it was just, it was just a feeling of love and um, of holding space for me to just feel whatever I wanted to feel. And that I was important enough to have this class just by myself. Um, it, it just, it was another moment um, of just of a deep appreciation for you and for what you bring to the world. And I'm just going to, I have five, five more, but I'm just going to say one more because we have so many topics to get to. But one time I took a uh, yoga class with you and I was in the back of the class and this one was a very crowded class. So there was a lot of people in this class and I was in the back and once again, you were asking us to do something very, very challenging that I couldn't do. And I got really angry with you in the class. And I said something to you 
so wildly disrespectful in the middle of this class. Like I said something like, you know, well, why don't you do that? And I'll do it if you do that. It was something like putting your leg behind your neck or whatever. And I immediately, as soon as the words came out of my mouth, I was so embarrassed that I had allowed this to escape my mouth. And, and you just looked at me and the look was not one of resentment. The look was not one of anger or frustration or, oh my God, what's, what's wrong with Robin today? It was just love. You just, instead of being offended by what I had said or got, or or if you didn't choose to become defensive about what I said, instead you just chose to envelop me in love. And that's the energy that came at me all the way in the back of the room, not anything else. So for all of those things and so much more, I just wanna say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you have taught me um, about the neutral minds, which has been something that's been uh, a, a cornerstone of my practice. You know, when people are like, I'm trying to stay positive, I'm trying to stay positive. And I'm like, the goal is not positive. The goal is neutral. It is what it is. So um, I just wanted to thank you for all of that before we move on to today's topics. Thank you, Robin. Well, it's, it's, it's totally a mutual blessing. Mm and to share this space with you. And, and, and I, I, I appreciate the resonance that we have. And, and you, you are the same. You're a great inspiration for me and a great inspiration for others. And I, th I think that um, a lot of times we're not aware of how we do help one another and, um, and our impact. And, and, yes. uh, and it's, uh, yes. I think helping each other. Yes. That's, yeah, that's why I really, I do, it's always been important for me to tell you some of those things because it's it's just been uh, something that I go back to over and over again and and even today I you know whenever I am struggling with anything a lot of times I'll just transform myself into the space of your center just because truly the energy of your center is so healing and when my office was in the same parking lot as you I used to have my clients go over and sit in the lobby. <laughs> really, I would just say, uh, uh, you know, after a difficult session, I said, can I recommend that you just go over to the Calsa Healing and Art Center and just sit in the lobby and just feel the energy of that space? Um, because it was so healing and many, many of them did. And they all reported the same thing. So, you know, I just thank you so much. Thank you, Robin. I appreciate mm. that. Sure. So I want to move on to our topics because, and one of the reasons why I so desperately wanted you of all people on for this, the Sunday before the election, although in uh, true, in transparency, for transparency purposes, I want everyone to know that we are recording this on October 23rd. So who knows what will have happened from October 23rd through the Sunday before the election, but this is going to be broadcast on the Sunday before the election. And there is so much anxiety going on in our in our country. Um, it's certainly it's palpable. I, I can't go anywhere without feeling it. And I often think to myself, what is Mahan Rishi feeling? How is he managing this? Because I can't imagine that you're not feeling the stress of this, but maybe I'm wrong. So I'd love to know how you're feeling. And I also would love to know how you're coping. Okay, well, a couple of things. I wouldn't say I'm feeling the stress of it or okay. I don't feel like I'm coping either per se. Okay. I, I see this as an exciting um, adventure actually. And um, as huge opportunity for myself and for all of us. I think, you know, we have the combination of this election, we have the combination of COVID, you know, you know all these different uh, social, um, cultural, environmental shifts that are happening. And I, I, I think there's something really profound that we can tap into if we allow ourselves to be quiet enough and not be caught up in the frenzy of it. Um, you know, there's so many things that are vying for our attention now and, you know, from many different aspects of society and life. And I think that each person needs to establish a strong inner presence of being 
that is um, peaceful and content. And from that place, we can have some clear way of working with this and, and clear way of discerning um, what is actual maybe reality. I think, you know, there's so many ways to view things and there's so many beautiful people with very opposing and different um, ways of seeing it. And I think for myself, the process is not being caught in the projection of people or things, but actually um, sensing the inner beingness that's within all of us. And, and even, even though views are extremely, I feel antagonistic to even moral and social justice and, and healthy ways of, of navigating, I think it's really, there needs to be people who are, are not reacting to the projection and realize there's something deeper there's a backstory, there's reasons why people believe certain ways. I'm not necessarily right because of the way I believe. Um, that there's, there is a common humanity that we can relate to. And I think we all need to somehow pause and look deeper and see within, you know, this, this, this uh, apparent chaos um, that there's some beautiful unfolding that's happening ultimately. So I, I think that the thing to be aware of, you know, is how things appear and it, it appears a certain way, but the reality is much deeper. And to be able to find that place within that relates to a common sense of unity and oneness, rather than all this fragmented ways of, of seeing things that are create the, the polarization and create the dissonance and create the, the duality around things. Um, so you, you know, don't feel, do you not feel fear? No. You don't feel fear? Hmm. Fear, uh, fear of? Well, I mean, I can only speak for myself, you know, as a Jewish person, um, I feel afraid. I feel that, you know, this president has brought out um, this very ugly side of humanity and, um, you know, so I struggle. I, I, I agree. I understand what you're saying. And I, I live in that world at times. I don't live in it anywhere near as much as you do of, you know, being able to see the bigger picture, understanding that we're in the middle of a process. Like I'm very clear about that part that we're in the middle of a process. Um, and that in many ways, this is an awakening for, for the world and for our country. But then there's this other part, this human part, that is just every day waking up afraid. Like I have a bumper sticker on my car. Does that make me a target? I have a sign outside. Does that make me a target? Um, when people find out that I'm Jewish, does that make me a target? Um, my, or my gay and, and lesbian friends or my Muslim friends. Um, it, there's just a fear that is also present for me while I'm also trying to always come back to that center part that you're talking about, that inner peace. And I'm just wondering how you manage. It sounds like you don't manage it at all. You don't feel those things. Yeah, well, I mean, living in the world as I have for decades now as, as an American Sikh with a beard and turban and white robes, mm -hmm. um, you know, walking through airports after 9-11, yes. uh, et cetera, et cetera. I, yes. I, I realize, you know, I can be a target and I have been a target um, at times. Um, but realizing it's, it's, a, it's a huge opportunity for, um, for connection and, and uh, education, let's say. I, I've had people, you know, all kinds of energy coming at me, of course, you know, because of how I look. Mm -hmm. People don't even know me, right? Mm -hmm. And so I, I, it's a learning lesson for me realizing, okay, people don't know me. They, they see me and they associate me with Osama bin Laden or Taliban or whoever, and they associate terrorism, they associate fear, et cetera, with me. And I have the opportunity to shift that perception um, with me, which may affect their perception of others. And also I realize, you know, I can't, I just can't function in the world that way. Mm. Um, I realize I need, it's what this has enabled for me is to um, see the angelic universal quality of beings and to not allow myself to get caught in projections mm -hmm. because if I were to live that way you know I'll be like 
you know, just, you know, barely ever going outside. <laughs> and so, so yeah, I, I just, um, you know, made that shift really years ago to um, relate to the possibility of, of understanding and oneness. But when you say like, they don't know you and you have an opportunity to maybe change their perspective, their, their perception, because you are very different than what they think you are. You don't have that opportunity if you're just walking through the airport. They're just projecting onto you whatever they think that you are and that at times your safety can be at risk. Yeah, you, you just choose not to think about that part? No, because it's presence. People will look and they'll feel for, you know, people, I, you know, 99% of the people I'm with in the world are, will never have a conversation with, right. like this, you know, about our beliefs and things. Right. But it's a presence and, and people, people get each other really yes. quickly a lot yeah. of times. And when I was in the airport after 9-11, I was amazed. I, I, you know, there, literally there was, there was Time Magazine, Newsweek Magazine with Osama bin Laden's picture right on it. I'm walking right by it, you know, these stores with white robes and everything. And I, the people in the airport, I had absolutely no negative energy at all. And the, the pilots and the crew members attendants were literally outgoingly friendly to me. Wow. And so I realized that a lot of it is a state of consciousness and presence mm. and people will get it. And when I first went into the airport, I think, oh my goodness, this is going to be like, I'm going to have thousands of people look, you know, you know, bearing down on me with anger. Yes. And, well, first of all, there was nobody there. Um, <laughs> right. I know. I traveled right after 9-11. I was one of three people on the airplane. Yeah. Yeah. But then once I got out to New Mexico, there were, you know, thousands of people traveling. And, and um, anyway, you know, I, I realized that my fear was... Um, was not necessary of, of going into that airport. And, and, and then, you know, the energy that transpired after that was really beautiful. Yeah. So what do you suggest, suggest for those of us that are not at that place yet um, and who are feeling so much stress and anxiety? I mean, I can't walk out my front door without someone coming over to me and talking to me about how stressed they are. Specifically, they're stressed about the outcome of the election, regardless of the outcome, and especially fearing that people are going to take to the streets with guns and all that kind of stuff. How would you respond to somebody like that? And I'm wondering if anyone has talked with you about that, Well, people their fears need, about that. Yeah, well, people, yeah, I have heard it, but I think people need to shift their attention. Um, I mean, that's, that's, that's the current drama that's happening. So this, this drama, there's going to be mm -hmm. another drama in, you know, six months or a year from now, and then there'll be another drama. Um, you know, people need to uh, relocate their attention. Our, our thoughts and our, our visions and things require our attention for their survival. If we, if we continue to focus on that, we're going to perpetuate it and inflame it. If we, if we begin to focus on the possibility here, um, the energy will shift. I mean, it's the same thing with relationships. People tend to oftentimes focus on the conflict and just be wrapped up in the conflict and the, the struggle of the conflict rather than seeing the relationship as if it's already healed. We mm -hmm. focus on the relationship as if it's already healed. The same thing culturally, then we're going to bring a whole different energy to it. And we're yeah. not going to Put ourselves to unnecessary stress because a lot of things that people worry about just never happen anyway true probably 90 percent of the things people worry about never happen it's an it's a, one of the most wasteful ways to use a person's mind is to worry yes it's hard though <laughs> it's really hard i'm not i don't consider myself a worrier in general i'm not a worrier i'm i'm I talk in earlier podcasts that one of the reasons I chose to do this podcast is because I'm an overfeeler. I'm not an overthinker. I'm not somebody who thinks and ruminates over things a lot, but I feel I'm, I'm like a walking nerve ending. I'm feeling things every minute of the day. And I don't always know what to do with all those feelings. And I find myself overwhelmed um, lately, especially um, as it relates to the state of our world. I'm just, I'm scared. Yeah, well, you know, again, it's a refocusing of attention. 
at the end of the year, we generally, or the beginning of the year, end in the beginning of the year, we generally have a gathering. And so the gathering is to bring people together to honor and have gratitude for the last year. And also what are we bringing to the next year? And so what I've done over the past number of years is, you know, being, there's been some real tragedies at the, at the end of years um, going into the next year, some major tragedies. And so people's attention can be really consumed by that tragedy and struggle with that, or we can begin to look at the positive. And so what I begin to do is look at, there's actually hundreds if not thousands of positive projects that are happening in the world that are affecting hundreds of people, thousands of people, millions of people that you just never hear about. Yeah. And so all the attention goes toward the negative when there's all these positive things happening. And what yeah. we want to do is fuel the positive. Mm-hmm. Which explains why the energy in your space is always so clean and clear. Because you're always focusing on all the good that is happening in the world and why, you know, you have this peace picnic every year on the Sunday of Memorial Day weekend. And I always joke with you that that's the only thing I put in my calendar at the beginning of every, because I still have the paper calendars. I don't use the uh, phone calendar. And I get my new calendar and I go right to that weekend and I put it in. Um, This year it was on Zoom, but I was there. I was there on Zoom. I remember. Yeah. because it does remind you and it brings you back to um, that, that place of peace, which I think peace is more important than happy. Peace, I think, is the goal more than happiness. Yeah, I, I think that um, we don't, people don't need to walk around with so much stress and anxiety unnecessarily. I mean, it's, um, I mean, why, why torture oneself around that when we can put our energies in much more productive places that are, are going to be more helpful for ourselves and more helpful for others. Rather than constantly being fueled by all the negative in the media and all the, the negative stuff, I mean, it's just becoming a, a very addictive, um, neurotic thing of just constantly watching all this. And, um, you know, we need to get back to the quiet, back to the stillness. and. Um, back to nature and, and, and those essential parts of ourselves. Yes. Do you watch the news at all? I do. I check in. Okay. I mean, I check in periodically. I'm not a news fanatic. Right. I do like to just have updates about things. Yeah. Um, I don't watch it obsessively by any means. Yeah. And it's funny you should mention um, nature because uh, my wedding anniversary was last weekend. And we were doing some things together as a couple. And one of the things that I had said that I really wanted to do is go, I like to hike. We both like to hike. And typically we just go to the the area places to hike, like Washington Crossing State Park, which was beautiful, or Tyler State Park. But I wanted something different. And I we ended up going to Nakamixon State mm-hmm. Park, which was stunning, first of all. Beautiful. Stunning, beautiful, beautiful place, totally worth the drive. Um, But what was very interesting to me and my takeaway from the day was as we were driving through uh, Central Box all the way into Upper Box um, and seeing every Trump sign, Trump, 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 the closer you got to Nakamixon State Park, the more Trump signs there were. So I was a little concerned, I have to be honest, when I got to the park that I was going to be hiking among um, people who I do, you know, who I feel currently afraid of, you know, just to be blunt. And not only did I not have that experience, I had the exact opposite experience. I was blown away. What you were just describing about how the flight attendants and people were treating you after 9-11 when you were afraid that it was going to go one way, but it went the polar opposite. That's exactly what happened to me in the park um, walking. It wasn't just the usual head nods of acknowledging your fellow hiker or biker. Um, it was people saying, hey, how are you? How's it going today? Oh, thank you so much for letting me pass. I hope you're enjoying this beautiful hike. I mean, above and beyond friendly. Um, I walked out of there with a completely renewed sense of, human- you know, of, of humanity. And, um, and so I, I, I put it on my list to do as often as I possibly can to remind myself. And when you get away from 
all the politics and you get away from all the noise and you do go into nature, it just brings you back to that quiet space that you're talking about that we all need. Um, yeah, I, I think once we, we um, remove all this cloaking of belief systems, um, we return to our true nature and realize there is a, a common thread amongst all of us, doesn't matter if you're Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Vegetarian, Rastafarian, Unitarian, Presbyterian, whatever your thing is, um, underneath all of it is, is a sense of oneness. And that's one reason I love going to the beach. Mm -hmm. I love the beach too. I remember one year I was down at Belmar, you know, everybody, you know, there was Muslim, you know, Eastern European, there's Jews, there's Sikhs, there's Blacks, there's mm -hmm. Asians, there's everybody yes. just having a good time. Yes. And uh, yes. who cares, you know, what your belief system is, what your ethnicity is, and whatever. Yes. Yeah. So, not to beat a dead horse, but I have to ask this this one final question about this, and then I want to move on to a couple other topics. But on election night, you're going to be in your home in Princeton Junction, New Jersey, and you're going to be feeling fine. Oh, yeah. You're going to be feeling fine, regardless of the outcome? I'll be excited. You're going to be excited. Yeah, I'll be excited. And if the election um, goes, let's just say, to Donald Trump, how are you going to feel? I'm moving. <laughs> <laughs> be with you. But will you feel afraid that people are going to be coming out or not? No, no. No, I mean coming out <laughs> coming out you know onto the streets with their guns and all that you're not afraid of any of that on election no. night i'm asking you to put yourself on election night and god forbid that happens yeah no i mean i think people should in terms of those thoughts people should be more afraid of biden wins that's what i meant oh i'm sorry that's what i meant i meant if biden wins that trump yeah. supporters are going to come out onto the street that's what i meant well that that very well may happen but I think it's, you know, the ugly, the, this stuff can come out, but it will be temporary. We have to realize. Okay, temporary. temporary. So that's, that's the word. We're going to move to a, a temporary. Um, um, that's good. Convulsion, let's say. I mean, if Biden wins, he's got an, a huge um, energetic thing he has going to have to work with. I mean, he's got all the, the social, political, you know, COVID things to work with, but he's got an energetic thing that he's going to have to work with really skillfully to balance, which I think is the, the more difficult aspect of this. And, yes. you know, hopefully he and his staff members are going to have the, uh, the finesse to, to work with these energies in such a way that doesn't, doesn't perpetuate the conflict and the convulsion, but can, can simmer things down in such a way that, that things can be workable. We'll yes, see. yes. So that's that's very helpful, I think. Um, remembering that whatever we go through that night or in the nights to come after that, that this is temporary and that this is going to pass like everything else passes. Yeah, it's it's it, it all does right. It's all it does. It does so much of our unnecessary struggle for realize everything's transient. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So there are a few other, um, but before we leave politics, one of the other topics that's directly related to this is I'm curious if, and, and you sort of have answered this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, have any of your relationships been affected at all as a result of the political climate? Uh, not really. No? No. I, Because um, we don't focus on that part of it. Okay. Uh, I, you know, there's so many, so many different types of relationships to have. Uh, um, and so um, there's so many other places to connect rather than just politically. Um, I mean, just because I believe a certain way doesn't mean I'm right. I mean, this is, I think, I think we need to, there needs to be a whole nother perception of, of belief systems and, and political stances on things. And and, and there's, um, I think there's another understanding. So um, I just, I don't, I don't let it get in the way. I, I, I look. That's amazing. 
think it's important to look deeper. To We're so much deeper than our belief systems. And of course, our belief systems seem to be really important in how we navigate and, and such. But, you know, I had a great lesson on my own mind when uh, the last election, when um, Melania Trump came out to speak, um, you know, back in 2016, mm-hmm. she comes out, right? And my mind goes, okay, here's this really ultra glamorous woman, ultra, ultra rich. And she comes out to talk and she's also married to Trump. So, you know, my mind is kind of going there, you know, just judging her a bit. Mm-hmm. Then I just keep watching her and I realize, okay, here's a, here's a woman who's trying to support her husband. Here's a mother. And my mind just keeps shedding the projection onto her. You know, she's Republican, she's this, she's that, blah, blah, blah. And I just keep dropping that and I just realize, okay, she's a mother. She's trying to do the best for her family. She's a woman. She's a being. She's someone who, who's, who inside of her is much deeper than all this drama around her. And I could just see her as a human being. Mm-hmm. And I think that's in a really important place to to come to is looking at the places within ourselves rather than so much trying to shift anything externally is I look at the place within myself that's caught in the judgment and I need I need to remove that before I can have any clear perception of anything I hear that and and that all makes sense to me where I get stuck and where I think a lot of people get stuck is that it's hard to move past the part when you feel like your safety is threatened. And I think that a lot of people, especially minorities, feel like their safety is threatened. So to find that depth of compassion, which is that's how I hear what you're saying, to find that depth of compassion when you're feeling that this person wants to hurt me in some way. Um, And you may say, well, Melania might not want to hurt me, but she's supporting an administration that that is supporting a larger reaction in the community of people who do want Jews to be gone, gays to be gone, blacks to be gone. And so it's very, very hard for many of us to, to go that deep, to be able to ignore those parts and to just see them as, as struggling people. Cause I can tell you as a therapist, I get it. I understand Donald Trump is a very wounded individual. I can, I completely understand and have sympathy and compassion for the little boy he once was and what the needs that he didn't get met and how this happened. Um, But as adult people, they are doing enormous damage. And, and those of us, and I would consider you as well because of the way that you show up in the world, like you were just saying, um, in terms of what you look like, it's very, very hard for, you know, those of us that feel physically threatened. I have a brother who I don't speak to um, that I lost contact with in 2016 when I found out that he was supporting Trump. Um, and he's a QAnon member. So he's somebody who believes in all of those conspiracy theories. And I, I don't know how to move. I don't know how to move past it. I know so many people in my practice have lost relationships with loved ones over this. Um, and what you're saying, I, I really hear it and I want, I want to live it, but I'm, I'm just being really honest. And I think I speak for a lot of people that it's, this has challenged them to the core of their being because they feel so unsafe. What yeah. would you say to those people? Well, if you were if you were to be with your brother and your brother was on his deathbed and you were next to him, I'm wondering how you would feel about it. Because I, I, I went through this with my brother. My brother was a was a temple of contradictions. I mean, he went he enlisted in the Marines, went to Vietnam, um, you know, spent 13 years in the jungles. Um, uh, then came back while well, he went to Woodstock super long hair, drugs, everything. Um, and for years continued to be a Republican supporter and Trump supporter. Mm. Um, he, he and I were very alienated for like 20 years or so. And then, then as I 
um, opened my heart around it, actually. Um, we, we came together and developed a, a good relationship. And then I was by his side when he's passing. And all I could feel at that moment was love. Mm-hmm. There's nothing other than love. And I said to myself, what took me so long to get here? Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, people, you know, we're all kind of like crazy. And we have all these belief systems and things that we identify with as real. And yet there's a core essence uh, that we want to relate to. And, mm. and so I think, it, it's, like I said, it's a matter of where we're placing our attention. And people can go out into the world and be worried and stressed. Or else, you know what? I was down in, in, um, in, in Philadelphia one day. I went into um, Garland of Letters. I don't know if you know that store. Yeah been like it's been a new age bookstore there for like 50 years great vibration i walked out i came out you know if you know um south streets you know quite a wild street right Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i walked out on the street and all i saw was like 2000 angels that wasn't like 2000 angels with wings i just saw you know these are beautiful beings yes so you know with all types of different belief systems and and what happened for me was a transformation in my inner being so that I, I came outside and I was able to see that way. I think we all have to look at ourselves. Mm-hmm. So really where it begins and people are walking around burdening themselves with a lot of unnecessary thoughts. Yeah. And you know, these thoughts can translate into reality. So um, uh, people should be mindful of how they're thinking about all this. Yeah. I um I, I just first I want to go on record as saying that I feel nothing but love for my brother and I pray for him every day. Um I don't I I guess the way I think about it which is a little bit different than maybe the way you think about it is that you can love somebody but sometimes you have to love them from a distance because the relationship feels toxic to to people. And so one of the things that I do in my practice is um, help people disengage from toxic relationships, but it doesn't change the love that somebody has. It's sort of like death is the end of a life, but not the end of a relationship. And the same is true, I think, when you have an estranged family member or friend, that sometimes the relationship doesn't work anymore. But the love that you have for that person never, never changes. I love my brother as much today, if not more today, than I have ever loved him before. Um, but I also know that I can't have a conversation with him. What, what are we going to talk about? I'm sure there's common ground somewhere. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I think what happens for all of us in certain relationships is that we let a particular issue or thing consume our awareness rather than other parts of ourselves. And there's, there's a lot of common ground. I'm, I hang out with a lot of people who are, if they're Trump supporters or Republicans or whatever thing they're into is totally different than mine. I mean, I mean we're usually hanging out with people who are different than us in many mm-hmm. ways. And, and there's, a lot of, there's a lot of common ground to talk about. I agree, but I go back to, and then I am, I promise, going to switch topics. <laughs> But I, I agree with that. And I think that the, that has always been true for me up until Trump. I mean, I've had many, many, many Republican friends and I love to debate them, actually. It's a lot of fun and I feel nothing but love. The The sticking point for me that I think is where you and I are getting stuck is the threatening feeling. I never felt threatened um, when President Bush was president. I, I didn't feel threatened with other Republican presidents. Uh, and I don't feel that those people were trying to get rid of me. Um, that, that's, a, that's a really hard pill to swallow, um, to be able to hang out, as you say, with people who, well, it doesn't sound like you believe that they want to get rid of you. But I, I have, I know that there are people out there who don't want Jews here anymore and don't want Blacks here anymore. And I have a hard time finding common ground, as you say, with those people to just, well, let me just put that aside and let me just love you anyway and be in relationship with you anyway. How can you do that when you feel like that person doesn't believe that you have a right to exist? Yeah, well, you don't even necessarily have have a sense of love for them. It's just um, not being preoccupied with, with that thought. Um, I mean, these, there's been people who wanted to 
get rid of Jews and blacks and gays and whatever for, you know, forever. Um, now, yeah, now they have a stronger voice and stronger presence um, around that, but that's been here for, for, you know, for many, many years and who knows what's next. Um, I would just be, I, I think it's really healthy to shift one's attention from that because um, we don't want to be walking around with, with that reality. And we can we can shift it. I mean, it, through through our presence, we, we can shift that reality. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think that while it's true that it's been here forever, it's not been. Um, I haven't known who they all are in the way that I know them now. That's been the hardest part of this uh, time for me is that I didn't know. Um, what people believed to this level. And now that I know, I can't unknow it. And I have a very hard time getting past it. And it, it hurts. I mean, I don't, that's not who I am as a being. I mean, I am somebody who um, really embraces people and, you know, loves, loves the differences because I love to talk to people and I love to hear another perspective than my own. But it's very, very difficult when, um, I feel like these people want to hurt me and people that I love. I can't get past it, but I'm going to listen to this podcast over and over again, and I'm going to see um, if there could be a shift there. But I think that um, a lot of people are really struggling with that. I wanted to switch gears. Um, you mentioned your Sikh religion, and you know people see you in this white turban and this white robe and your beard. Um, and they don't really understand why. Why do you wear it? And what does being a Sikh mean? So I was wondering if you could just take a few minutes and talk about that. Sure, sure. Thanks, Robin. Sure. Well, you know, it's just been a part of my growth and evolution as a human being. And um, it came really through meditation and yogic practices to understand that we, each human being, has the ability and capacity to embody the divine and, and embody our higher consciousness in whatever form that is for us. And so this is the form it's taken for me. It's gonna be a different form for different people. Um, well, being a Sikh, I mean, the word itself means a student or a disciple. So it's one who, who just keeps learning and keeps growing and uh, is devoted to spirit. And so the idea of, um, you know, seeker means seeker of truth and, and also, um, you know, one who, who relates to spirit within all things and all living beings. And uh, through my yoga practice and all, just realizing also that we come from this light. We are the expression of light in this physical dimension. We're an expression of celestial sound. And so we come from white light. And so wearing white um, is a reminder of me of where I've come from and where I'm going and an expression of that radiance. White um, light is the embodiment of all the colors and the sense of unity, sense of purity and, and illumination. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's basically, you know, back in the 60s, it was like, okay, let's just get out of here. Let's take a trip and, and, and hit go into the 15th astral dimension, get out of this earth plane. Well, you know, what we're realizing now in this, this newer age is that we want to embody and incarnate uh, the sacred and that there isn't separateness that we can actually incarnate that energy into the planet. And so basically the form uh, that I wear is, is um, my journey of, trying to incarnate um, our consciousness on the planet. Wow, okay, thank you. Thanks for that explanation. Um, yeah, I, I think a lot of people, I know people you know, who I, I have sent to your center often come back and ask me these questions and I have not really felt like I've had a good explanation. So thank you for that. Um, we only have two more quick topics that I wanna go through, not that they're quick, but if you could just talk a few minutes to um, food for a moment. I, I really want to talk about food because um, 
a lot of people, and I am raising my hand as one of these people, um, turn to food as a way to cope with what they are going through right now. Uh, some people turn to alcohol, some people turn to prayer and meditation, um, and some people turn to food and specifically sugar. And I know that um, you have a lot of thoughts about that. I wanted you to speak about that for a few minutes. And I really want you to speak to how people can get off of this sugar train. So whenever I try, especially since I knew I was going to be speaking with you today, it's been in my mind a lot and I definitely have an addiction to sugar. And so I'll have a conscious thought that I am not going to have sugar today, just today. I'm just not going to have sugar today. Well, I don't get through three hours before I'm running to get my peanut butter tasty cake out of the freezer because my body just starts to go quickly into withdrawal. I start to panic and I, and I, the only thing that's going to calm me down or so it feels in that moment is sugar. And I thought, I'm not going to let you go today without you speaking to that. Oh my goodness. Well, Robin, we could talk all day about <laughs> I know, I know. That's one of my favorite topics, right? Yes. About sugar. <laughs> well, you know, it's an amazing experience to be totally off of sugar. Um, it's very, very, very rare. So um, I, I grew up on Tasty Cakes and Crimpets and, and uh, Twinkies and Coca-Cola. And my parents didn't know. I ate all that stuff. I ate a ton of it. And I had I'd get bronchitis like every other year and sore throats and headaches and everything. Then I went to yoga and well, actually people were saying, oh, just have your tonsils out, have your tonsils out because I was getting sore throats all the time. And I was talking to the yoga teacher and, and I told the yoga teacher, you know, I get these headaches, I get sore throats and everything. He asked me, do you, do you eat sugar? I said, yeah, I eat sugar. He says, well, why don't you keep your tonsils? <laughs> I remember <laughs> this story. I remember you talking about this one time in a meditation class. Keep your yeah. tonsils and lose the sugar. Yeah, so anyway. <laughs> um, so that made a huge difference when I let go of processed sugar. So I made a quantum leap going from processed sugar to let's say honey and uh, maple syrup or whatever. So then, you know, after a number of years, I, I realized, well, it's probably a good thing to let go of these others as well um, because it's a highly concentrated sugar and it's really unnatural. You're, you're never gonna see a squirrel out there um, <laughs> putting sugar on its acorns mm -hmm. uh, before they eat it or whatever humans do it we add all these other things to our food which are really out of balance and so when you're adding honey or maple syrup or agave or whatever um it's really it's stressing your system tremendously because whenever you put that in the pancreas has to secrete the insulin the insulin carries the glucose into the cell and so you're constantly stressing your pancreas and over time you know it's just going to and get exhausted. So anyway, I, I, I began to let go of all sugar other than fruit. And I highly recommend eating fruit. Um, it has a totally different impact on your sugar levels, um, you know, being has fiber and everything with it. And I found my brain, everything functions totally differently when I'm not adding these concentrated sugars to my diet. So, um, how do you recommend people make that shift? Well, there's a, there's a number of reasons why people are eating the sugar in the first place. One reason is because of stress, because when there's stress levels, the brain needs, feels like it needs the glucose, right? The function. And um, so one way is to first identify the stressors and begin to quiet down the stressors so we're not overactivating the sympathetic mm. nervous system, which is activating the pancreas to secrete, the adrenals to secrete. And so that's, that's important. Also just drinking more water. If you think sugar, breathe deep. Take a few deep breaths because all these cravings are temporary. All cravings are temporary and they do pass and they, they'll return, but they're gonna return due to different conditions that we're creating within ourselves and within our world. I would remove all the tasty cakes from the house. Um, <laughs> I was gonna bring them on to the podcast. <laughs> I just was like, I'm just, uh, I'm just. Yeah, you, gotta, you know, you gotta just get these things out of the house because yeah. of course there's gonna be a temptation and. And we all have stress times, right? We all have mm -hmm. it. Um, How do you so, deal with the withdrawal symptoms, like the headaches? 
that's temporary. <laughs> and that, that's a really good, important point. You're not well, going to get... You're not going to get withdrawal symptoms from stopping eating apples or mm -hmm. stopping eating broccoli or carrots or cherries or blueberries. It shows that that food is a toxin, yeah. um, just like coffee, right? You know, if, if coffee wasn't a toxin for people, you wouldn't get headaches when you withdraw from it. You're not going to get headaches if you withdraw from apple juice or carrot juice or something right. like that. Do you eat bread now? I know there was a period of time you didn't, then you did. Do you eat bread now? Very, very, very rarely. Okay. Yeah, very rarely. I, I would recommend people get away from bread because that increases the sugar levels. People don't realize their glycemic index shoots up a lot with, with uh, bread products, pasta and things like that. Wow. Um, you know, the gluten, all that is just destroys the, the intestinal flora and creates a mess out of things. A lot of inflammation, acidity, mucus, depression, foods, you know, if people can work on their food, it's going to shift their state of mind. So it is a cycle. Um, you, you want just really healthy food around your house, you know, so I go for raisins and nuts and things like that. And, you know, I have a lot of berries, I blueberries, strawberries, blackberries, I eat those. And, you know, ultimately you're not going to find what you're looking for in life in your refrigerator. <laughs> really? I thought, I thought maybe I could, because that's where I go looking for it, for sure. All right, we have to switch to our last topic because um, I don't want it to keep you anymore. Um, COVID, and I'm not gonna ask you to talk about COVID you know, in general, but um, I'm curious to know two things. One is how you're personally managing COVID, how you think about it, and also how it's affecting your business because you know you were you know, you have had a lot of in-person classes and meditation, and I'm wondering how you're doing that and, and if you're keeping up with your chiropractic uh, practice and all of that. So what, how are you handling COVID? Yeah, well, COVID is a great opportunity for us. Um, it's a great opportunity for all of us. We can see, it. of course, people are, are continuing to be very busy, you know, being a, people can be on Zoom or online or whatever, um, but it is a pause from our everyday um, abnormal lifestyles and uh, we're going to have a new abnormal uh, pretty soon and um, we, we want to just um, realize okay this is an opportunity okay there's a you know what I feel in a lot of people is there's a like they're in a limbo state waiting for things to go back to the normal yes and I agree um, totally it's not going to go back to the way it was and to hang out in this limbo state it's going to create more frustration and more unease for people. So I see this period as, as a great opportunity for pausing and reevaluating, uh, reassessing our lives and, and cultivating a, a greater sense of stillness, a greater sense of connectedness with others, with family and friends yes. and envisioning. I mean, this will shift. I mean, it's going to be different, but this the COVID thing will will diffuse over time. And then we'll be back into our into lives and you know society and all. Uh, so it's a great time to vision. I, I agree. Think, I think it's a great time to really get clear on what's meaningful. Yes. And to be true to yourself and to really move in that direction. Yes. And, and you know, what I see in my practice is it really has allowed people to slow down. And for that, I'm so grateful. You know, I, I think that COVID is going to be seen as a blessing if we can get a little further away from it. Um, because it really, as you said, exactly, it is helping everybody reprioritize what's most important to them and, and letting everything else fall away with ease. You know, another Mahan Rishiism that happened to me years ago was we were in a, in a meditation class, I think it was, and you were talking about life isn't supposed to be like a stick shift, you know, like that you're not like moving with, with harshness, you know, in between gears, but that things are, that can move smoothly if we, you know, kind of put our oars in the boat and just let the current take us. And I think that COVID is a piece of that. Um, and I, I can see uh, much more than I can see it as it relates to the election, but I can, I'm right there with you with COVID. Um, and how are you doing your um, practice now? Well, we were out of the practice for about three months. 
okay. um, slowly out of it, out of our center. Then um, and we came back into the practice with chiropractic and um, acupuncture massage. We continue to do all of our classes online currently. Okay. Uh, um, okay. Yeah, I mean, we don't have any classes in the center at this time. One reason that there's been the Zoom classes, I realize is better in person, but um, the Zoom classes have created a great opportunity for people to come in from all over the world now. Yes. <laughs> uh, been a lot of students who have moved to different places and so we can connect. And also I'm seeing the great opportunity that now there are millions and millions of people who are bringing yoga and meditation into their homes and they're creating their own sanctuary, their own space for practice. And it's wonderful. You see the pets are there, the kids are there, and there's all this energy happening with yoga and meditation in the home. And wow. also it's been great because you know, you know we, a lot of our meditations go from 7.30 to nine o'clock at night. And then people have to jump in their car and drive yes. all the way home. You know, now they can just you know relax and go to bed or whatever. Wow, yes. So we, we've continued to do them online. You know, we look forward to being in person again when that happens. Okay. Well, I think we have covered everything, Mahan Rishi. Thank you so, so much for being here today. And everyone can reach Mahan Rishi at calsahealing.com. And yeah. you can sign up for classes there. And I highly, highly, highly recommend it. I cannot say enough about Mahan Rishi and his beautiful, beautiful wife, Nirbakar Khalsa. Um, these people... Um, just to know them is such an honor for me. And, and anyone really that has ever met you has said the same thing. And I've sent many clients to you over the years and everyone walks away from any encounter with either you or Nirbakar, a, a changed human. Um, so I thank you for not only what you've been for me in my life, but also for who you are in this world. I'm so grateful that you were born and I'm so grateful that you're here in this community. Well, thank you, Robin. I feel mutually for you as well. You're a lovely woman with great wisdom and heart and soul and spirit. And, and I honor, you know, the deep feeling that you have in, in life and the passion and the, and the soulfulness that you bring to it all. And, You've raised an amazing family and beautiful husband, Larry. And, you know, what you folks bring to the world is, is also admirable. Thank you. And I want to remind everybody that you can follow my podcast on Instagram at Robins underscore nest underscore pod. And next week after the election, my guest will be Barbara Simmons from the Peace Center. She was the executive director at the Peace Center for 30 years, and she is an amazing, amazing woman. And I'm super excited to talk with her next week as well. Mm -hmm. So, great. yeah. So with that, I thank you, Mahan Rishi, and I will see everybody next week. Sat Nam. Thank you. Sat Nam, Robin. Much love to you. Love much, to love, much love to you.